0: Dr. Ron Posno was a teacher, a pilot, and a motivational speaker. He loved scuba diving and he was an RV enthusiast. He writes novels for fun, although they do remain unpublished. Ron says most of everything he learned that was worthwhile he learned in the RCAF or as a teacher in the public school system. Well, he is still teaching all of us. He is 81 years old and has been diagnosed with MCI, mild cognitive impairment. It's a precursor for dementia or Alzheimer's, one of the 13 forms of the disease. He has become an advocate for MAID, medical assistance in dying. I want an assisted death, he says, and until then, I want the peace that comes from the assurance it will be provided when I need it or want it. Ron and his wife, Sandy, his high school sweetheart, live in London, Ontario. And Ron, thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Well, I'm very pleased to be able to join you. It's just great. Tell me a little
0: bit about yourself here. 5,800 hours of flying with the RCAF. What was your job primarily?
1: Well, (laughs) when I did all that flying, I was no longer in the RCAF. (laughs) (laughs) What well, did you all... sneak
0: a plane home or what? No, I didn't. I, uh,
1: <laughs> I, I got out of uh, military college and, and then became a public school teacher. Amazing. And between uh, my wife and myself and a variety of other adventures, including three years living in Europe. yeah, Teaching Department of Defense school kids. Um, I, I continued with private flying. So I ended up with 5,800 hours. I was fully wow. rated instrument pilot, twin engine pilot. I've flown all over North America, up past the Arctic Circle, down in the Caribbean to go scuba diving. And uh, well, fortunately, my wife was able to join me on most of those journeys. So we, we've lived a very full life.
0: No, have you ever? And uh, well, my dad was was Air Force, so I have my biases. I was honorary colonel there, so I too have gotten to the Arctic Circle, but uh, yeah. in a slightly larger plane, probably.
1: Oh, am I at a single engine airplane?
0: <laughs> You're crazy. <laughs> yes. All right, Ron, tell us a little bit about what your life is like now. I I read that you said that you gave up golf, but it wasn't because of memory issues that you couldn't remember the score. It's just because your knees are bad. That's How right. is the MCI <laughs> affecting your life?
1: Well, it, 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 I, I look at it this way. Um, I, I have never, ever, and I used to teach this when I was working with uh, people with exceptional needs, whether they're children or whether they were adults. Uh, you define yourself by what you are able to accomplish. You do things. So when I was working with very exceptionally uh, needy children, we didn't talk about what you can't do. I, I've i heard read so many other stories about uh, classifying people on the basis of what they can't do. They can't read. They can't see. They can't walk. They can't do that. That is not what my whole life's been about. My whole program with people is to focus on what you can do. And you start with what you want to do. And you help people, you support people, and trying to enable them to accomplish this can-do and want to. So when it comes to me, my life was the same thing. I always focused on what I can do. So when, now when I have MCI, and I'm pretty sure it's moving well into Alzheimer's, as it might very well be well, a 65% chance we would become Alzheimer's. I, uh, I don't look in terms of what I can't do. It's prevalent. I know I can't do today what I could do a year ago. There are certain things that happen all the time. My short-term memory is practically gone. I can't remember what I had for supper last night, for example. Yeah. I have to look back in my little date book to see what I did to help me. Well, you see... That's what you do when you've got special needs. You develop routines so you don't break a routine. You've got backup plans to to check on what your life's all about. But I focus, and I I say this quite decidedly, I've got three ups every morning. One, I wake up. (laughs) Two, the sun's up. (laughs) Three, I get up, and then I get a bonus. I turn around and ask Sandy, my wife, what's up? <laughs> so, but it's that, it's that it's really um i can say well yes i am losing literally losing my mind mm-hmm. um my worry is not that at all i don't have a worry i have a real benefit sandy and i are enjoying a life together now that we've never had before and we've had a lot of living to do over 60 years together
0: it sounds like it, and you traveled, and you did things together, and you you shared a, a worldview and and a life view. Exactly. And she is on side with you in in terms of your mission now on on medical assistance in dying. That
1: yes, the- yes, it, 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 we talked about it. You see, a large part of my concern is it's, it's not just me; it's not my mm. problem. It's the people. My wife first. Right. Uh, you're 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 aware of what happens when you get into that last stage, the end of I life sure stage. I sure do,
0: because my mother went through this. Yeah, that's
1: right. And I have no desire at all to drag my wife into that turmoil. We have friends. We have other members of family. I don't want to drag them into that. That's a, a terrible, and I won't even talk about today, with the issues of of COVID nineteen. Right but I'm just talking about it generally. So I have no desire to go there at all. So uh, MAID is a wonderful thing. And I learned from another care provider, a wonderful expression. Just after I uh, was assessed a year or so afterwards, two years maybe, um, a producer from CBC came to me. Elisa Siegel. Mm -hmm. She was producing shows for Michael Enright on Sunday morning. Right, right. So she spent uh, two days with me, with my friends, people we know, interviewing me, and she created the show for Michael Enright, a half an hour show. She did a wonderful job. And Michael Enright, as you know, sounds great. Yeah. (laughs) They were taken with my idea of what you're just talking about. I wanted a, a death, a physician-assisted suicide. Well, from, a con- from that show going out, I got over immediately over 5,000 people coming at me that next week wanting more information. I don't know how they did it because there was no connection information put out on the radio, but they tracked me down and could do it. Well, a woman from Windsor got a hold of me, Terry. And she said, we heard your broadcast Saturday morning, Sunday morning. And my dad was assessed with Alzheimer's five years ago. Since his assessment, he never goes out of the kitchen. He stays home, locked Mm. in there. And we listened to your broadcast and he turned to me and said, that's it. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah. I'm going to get that made. Well, uh, the bottom line was uh, I had to tell Terry, I'm sorry. You it's can't. not available now. Yeah. we got to get the law changed. Well, she told her dad. And dad had a, about 10 days reprieve there. He went back to his original life. He was a retired car worker. And uh, he had a garage workshop. He liked to restore old motorcycles. His neighborhood fi- uh, fix-it guy. People come down and, hey, right. Gus, give me a hand. He'd do that. He'd go down to the boys and have coffee at the Timmy Hortons in the morning or, or beer at the Legion or whatever. So he was an active man before his diagnosis. His diagnosis terrified him. Yeah. But I picked up on this notion of beacon of hope. That was his yeah. expression. I've got, I've got hope. I can get out of this. I don't have to die like that. Well, I told Terry... She told her dad that made right now was not available. The next news I got from Terry was a picture of her on the icy shore of the Detroit River. Gus had fired up his motors. He pushed his bike out of the garage at three o'clock wow. in the morning, drove down the river, and jumped in. Wow. So I'm I I've since learned and I love it. Yeah, it's a great expression, beacon of hope. I've talked to so many people, not just people with with dementia, but other kinds of people with real problems, significant problems. And the idea that they could possibly get made is a real beacon of hope. It enables them to put the worry aside and get on with living today and making the best of the day you've got. And that's a wonderful thing to do.
0: This is the the thing that troubles me and i and I come to it from a very personal point of view too, which is watching my mother and knowing that she would have opted for a maid if she could have yeah. um, but it it has the it's the catch twenty two. this as soon as you're diagnosed, then they tell you you're no longer competent or capable of making a decision, where here you are in the middle of uh, of life post the diagnosis, and you're and you're and you're perfectly able and capable of making this decision, and nobody will let you.
1: That's right. And you see, that's that's is an irony. It's a terrible mm. thing. Yeah. It's a terrible thing. You know, I, I'm the same. I, I tell people you're the same the day after diagnosis as you were the day before. Exactly. And your decline is going to happen. There's no question about that. We don't have a cure for it. But there are all kinds of ways that you can live a good life. Mm-hmm. And you can choose to do that. But even better when you know you don't have to go out that terrible back door. So, um, and it applies to not just people with uh, dementia. I've talked to people with going into uh, stage four cancer. Right. And they want that relief. They want assurances that they can get that. Too. I, one of the stories the Dying with Dignity shares with people is the story of Audrey Fisher. And I'm, I'm sure you know about yeah, Audrey. Yeah, I know story. the story.
0: Go ahead. And, explain a bit.
1: And, and uh, yeah, and uh, you see, she had to take an earlier death because the rules are. And, you, and, let, and let me sidetrack here a bit, Pamela. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. Um, the Supreme Court's decision, the Carter decision, in 2015 was very clear. People facing a future of unendurable pain and agony should be able to access physician-assisted suicide or death or whatever you want to call it. We now call it made. Right. And they
0: actually said these cases are unique. You can't just have a category of people with Alzheimer's or people with dementia that cases are unique.
1: Each case has to be made by itself. And they didn't say that because you have mental illness or because you have dementia or because you are physically disabled or whatever, they didn't say you couldn't be eligible. They didn't take anybody out. You are a Canadian, and you are entitled to all the rights that we provide. Well, that's what the Supreme Court said. And then it turned around to the government. I won't go through all the stages of right. that. And you they
0: restricted that. it and restricted oh, it God, and restricted it. Yeah.
1: And they added all these precautions and safeguards, which mm-hmm. don't do anything for the patient. Right, they don't do anything for the patient at all. In fact, they create hurdles. Yeah, for for the patient. And I don't know who the hell they're safeguarding, other than possibly the conscience of some of these moralizers that we we have unseen. It, it was a it's a terrible thing that the this whole business of made as it was put out on. Year later, two thousand and sixteen mm-hmm. changed from a medical practice to a bureaucratic provision of a warped service, and it was yep. not available to all the people who might need it who couldn't choose. They took the choice away, so I, I have real problems with like what I call this bureaucratic service.
0: What is your theory because of course, I was uh, in the Senate at that time as well, and we were you know, pushing back and forth with government. This is a relatively young-minded government, et cetera, you know, on all sorts of other issues, environment and this and that. Why do you think there is such incredible resistance to this?
1: Well, we have spent not, – we're not just talking generation. We're talking the culture as it has evolved over mm-hmm. time. Suicide became legal in Canada some years ago. Now, to assist somebody with suicide is still a crime. Yeah. So that's why we had to create MAID to enable people who might be qualified enough to assist somebody to access suicide. So that's why we had to do it. But for a lot of people, what I call I call them moralist, conscientious objectors. Uh, we've even got professional practitioners that are hooked on an old version of hypocritic oath. Uh, there are all kinds of reasons. I, I lately I've been taking very much with what you're facing there in the Senate with with the number of of what you call informed uh, witnesses, people representing crippled people. Mm-hmm. Who stand up and make sound cases that you can't do this? This is a terrible thing to do. You've got to take crippled people out of that whole equation. Well, <laughs> I'm crippled. Yeah, I can't see it in one eye. Yeah, like my knee doesn't work. Yeah, <laughs> this eye here, my right eye, I'm losing vision in that. So, but I, that's a minor. I'm not worrying about me. I'm It's other people. I got a. I caught a, a young man once in grade eight, and uh, he had uh, muscular dystrophy. Well, six years later, his dad and Jess Jesse was his name. They pushed Jesse across Canada in a wheelchair. This followed Rick Hansen. Yeah. This followed Terry Fox. These are all people with serious disabilities, serious disability, now, who overcame oh sure they did and yep. and they can overcame, but even if it comes down to it, Rick wants to decide a few years from now that he's tired of all this stuff and he wants medical assistance and die, he should have the right. We don't have a bunch of moralists preaching around the floor in in uh, in the Senate well well. Th-
0: this is kind of the point. It's not like you're forcing somebody or I'm forcing somebody to do this. You're saying this should be a question of choice. And we've we've agreed to that concept in, in other areas. I mean, there's the obvious one uh, of abortion. That's a whole other set of issues. But, you know, I, I'm not saying everybody with Alzheimer's has to go through this or everybody who hits the age of 81 has to be forced into this situation. Situation, it should be our choice.
1: Absolutely. You picked on a key factor. This And that's what the Supreme Court said in 2015. Right. If the law was built exactly on what the Supreme Court said, we wouldn't have the arguments and problems exactly. that you've been going through this while. And the whole thing is it's a, it's a matter of choice. And as Gus from Windsor said, it would be his beacon of hope. Yeah, he could choose to do it. He doesn't have to do it. Nobody's pushing him to do it. I can't ever see doctors or nurses advising somebody trying to push them into it at all but i do i do want doctors and nurses to inform people about the possibility of this choice and if,
0: if they don't want to be involved to recommend you to someone else to say i know dr smith over here does it and dr jones is not interested so go see dr smith
1: absolutely right yeah and and and, and be patient centered enough to follow up on your reference make sure that, yeah. that it actually has taken place now of course in today's world with covid it's, yeah, it's becoming extremely different. complicated but the point is it is a it is a person's right to choose and it's a doctor's right to provide assistance and this decision of whether you're going to get involved with MAID should be like any other kind of <laughs> medical decision. It's a decision between the patient and the doctor and not some independent witness somewhere else. We got this is a medical de- we have do not yeah. resuscitate orders. That's all the that requires other thing. is you sitting down with your doctor, yeah. discussing the thing and signing the government form. That's that, the- becomes, that becomes the rule.
0: That, to me, you see, is the, is the establishment of the principle. And we've all done it who've gone through uh, a surgery. I've done it for family members, for my father when he was going in for heart surgery. You have that discussion. You sign that. Do not resuscitate me if I have no mental capability, if I have no physical capability, and certainly if I have neither. Uh, do not resuscitate. It, right. it To me, it is the same
1: principle. It's, to me, it's the same thing. I don't see anything different, and we don't need to have all. You know, you, Pam, you've had the direct, immediate experience. I I go, I, I found it interesting. Um, there in February last year, I think it was February, whatever. I know. Well, just recently, the lawyer that fought the case for Sue Rodriguez back yep. in 93, Joe Avery, I think it's now last name. Nobody's ever, I've never heard his last name pronounced. A-V-A-R-Y, Avery. Yeah. Joe uh, supported Sue in her case. There were this issue became a big thing. No, they lost. Yeah. But Joe supported Kay Carter in 2015. And they won.
0: The decision now, that got us this far.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And here, here's here's the key point. When Maid finally came out of the washtub in 2016, he would not vote for Maid. He could not support it. He said, this is not what the Supreme Court said. Yeah. And he had all kinds of reasons why this was a lousy, terrible bill. Could have, Complicated
0: could have. And, and messy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, one of the things, I mean, this is an issue for a lot of people. I think the numbers are about half a million, 500,000 people in this country living with a, a, a dementia diagnosis. And we're, we're, di- we're it's about 25,000 people every year that are added, right? right. So, well, this that, is
1: those are the facts yeah, uh, from ASC. Now, I will add a bit to that. Yeah. There's a tremendous fear in the, the general population, ignorance. Fear, prejudice—whatever you want—but they, but they won't go and get a diagnosis. Right. I'm doing workshops all the time, and I'm finding people who won't do that. They don't want to find out. It's like going back 20, 30 years ago. They wouldn't go and get a diagnosis of cancer. They were afraid right. of it. It was big C. We won't do it. So yeah, there's a little more than more than a half a million, over 500,000 people. We know, but they're diagnosed. The I ones would suggest that don't go where are 30 yeah. or 40% more of our population who don't know and won't find out.
0: Well, that's also part of this issue, because once you're diagnosed, it's kind of that moment where you are then considered not competent to make a decision because you have this diagnosis. So uh, you're probably going to find more people that are saying, I don't want the diagnosis because I want to be able to make a decision.
1: Well, I can go back and say that there are a lot of physicians who have a lot different kind of attitude. Are there, for physicians? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Do we have a college of physicians and surgeons? Yes. They're the ones that set the rules. They're the ones that control the people, the the the, the professional people. And one of the things I love, I, I just, it's been created in the past few years, is the Canadian um, Association of M- Made Assessors and Providers. Mm-hmm. Led by two doctors in uh, uh, Vancouver Island, Stephanie Green and and uh, yeah, Alan Weeb, they're just wonderful people, and their leadership is terrific. These people know about it. They know about the problems. They know the problems that other physicians or made assessors are having, and they can talk about the shortfalls. If we're going to, you know, I, I really believe this. I want made corrected. I want it to be a much better law. Than yeah. what we have at the present time, C seven was a beginning attempt. Now it's becoming contaminated by the same people that contaminated it, made in the first place. But
0: yeah, this is uh, the, and the legislative process is very difficult. I mean, the Senate's about to look at this next week. Of course, there will be amendments proposed, but um you know they may or may not pass, and the government may or may not do anything about it. The um, it, it's just not the best way to try and fix a bad piece of legislation is to add some stuff onto it to try to clarify. We we need some clear thinking about this, and we just can't get anybody to, uh, to agree to that. Uh, the first study of this, the government sent off to a group of academics, but they weren't allowed to make recommendations. They were just oh, yeah. allowed to, just to look study at problems. it. Yeah. So then nothing could uh, could move forward. I want to ask you a couple of specific things because they uh, the language around this stuff is always interesting. You prefer to say you're seeking advanced consent, not an advanced request. That's right. Explain that.
1: Well, an advanced request. Yes, that could go through. But I have no confirmation that nobody's that anybody's going to act on it. Right. I can file the request. Great. Yeah. But I want a confirmation that somebody act on it. So this is why I wanted to advance consent. And, uh, and you see, this is why we got to get rid of this death in the foreseeable future part of the right. current maid. And why we have to get rid of the problem that, that uh, Audrey Fisher had with final confirmation. Yeah. But I want a consent from my physician. That, that at certain date, or in my case, I got eight conditions specified, Yeah. that when these things happen, then you'll provide me with MAID. That's my beacon of hope. Let's go
0: through that. Uh, you do. You say you've got eight conditions here. I've got them in front. Do you want to explain what, what you've laid out?
1: Well, I'll try. I haven't got it all memorized. I've, I've got gone the short list, enough, so I'll but help you out. Gonna, gonna help. <laughs> well, my first one, my first one is, is is basically when I can no longer communicate yeah. anything with my wife, my family, friends. I don't know who comes in the room. I don't know what they're talking about. And this kind of incapacity Vary. very, some days it could be terrible and other days, yeah, it might recognize but that recognition factor will last for a few minutes. And then I don't know. Yeah. Then the other thing that comes along is that I see somebody strange in the room and I get become paranoid, become extremely fearful. Well, I know my general reaction to when I become fear, it's not running away. I. Tend to attack. Yeah, that's my military background. I don't know. Yeah, but that's just my nature. I fight. I think back. it's
0: everybody's instinct. Yeah. So
1: I don't want to fight people when they come in to help me. My PSW is coming in to change my diaper. I don't want to have to fight him/her. Yeah. So okay, then then there's this issue of uh of uh, imagination. That hallucinations,
0: all of those uh, things.
1: Hallucinations. I don't know. Yeah. All this strange stuff. Now, I, I heard, uh, oh, uh, there a few weeks ago, Lisa Raitt. Yes. Trying to explain husband has what it was early like onset. With her husband with yeah. early onset. And yeah. that's the major problem. With this, this poor man has got all these imaginations, and he doesn't know what's happening. And he's talking to him in the middle of the night. He's he's flailing out. He will strike people. Well, he's a big yeah. guy. Yeah. So I, I I don't want any of that.
0: I sat with my mother one day and she, um, I think she on some level knew who I was. I, I mean, certainly a, a relative and, and somebody that she felt close and comfortable with. And she had been a teacher all her life and taught drama and some sports, all the extracurricular stuff. And she, she, in a very, very lucid way said, well, I've got the girls here from the volleyball team. And I said, well, well where mom? And she said, well, here, there's no space for them anywhere else. So they brought their sleeping bags and and they're on the floor. So sitting in her room, um, having a, a very normal conversation with me, she was also seeing a floor filled with young girls sleeping on sleeping bags. Right. Um, you know, it, it's just... You learn, of course, as somebody who deals with this, you don't argue and you don't say, no, they're not there. You say, oh, that's interesting. And then in a moment, they're gone. But the the other side of that is there were days where she seriously resisted, as you said, be, because of fear. She didn't know who people were.
1: That's right. So and she I,
0: reacted that and way. I'll,
1: I'll go to the imaginations. Your, your mom was imagining yeah. her the the girls that she had was coaching. Yeah, you can imagine other things. You can imagine yeah. fearful circumstances. Exactly. So, uh, and you know, we go further. I right? one of my conditions there deals with when I can't, when I can no longer dress myself. Yeah, when I can no longer feed myself, when I can no longer um, shower, clean yeah. myself. Yeah. And that's a reality, you know, from your mom. She can't do it. Absolutely. So you're entirely dependent upon staff to help you with that. And your body forgets
0: these things. I'm not sure people understand, but, you know, I sat there and fed my mother, not, you know, because her body was forgetting the process of swallowing and, and what you do with food, something that, of course, we take
1: for granted. Well, yeah. And what food are you providing her? I wow. describe it in better terms as something like baby's pablum. Yep. But it could be at last night's leftover dinner that they just put in, put in a blender. Yeah. And you're, I, 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 I don't know what it's like feeding your mom, but I saw a video of somebody trying to feed a lady with Alzheimer's. And the poor lady was sitting there in the chair with her bib around her. And yep. the feeder had a spoon. Move the spoon, touch the, the lady's lips. A mouth would pop open. Mm-hmm. Then you put the pablum in. Then the mouth closes. And you have to try to encourage the lady to swallow it. Because they forgot yep. how to swallow. Certainly can't chew. Yeah. They have to swallow. Then the next yep. touch the lips with the spoon. Uh, up it goes. Dump yep. another load in. Well, you see, I don't want that. This is I don't not. Want that. Th-
0: this is your point that you make, that it's not just about intolerable suffering or, or pain. It is a genuine quality of life. That, to me, is not a definition of living. Oh,
1: I, 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 I should go, go. Sorry, Pam, I'm going to bump in here. Yeah. It's not living. Yeah. Living is a very constructive, positive interchange with what life has to offer other people, circumstances, things, or in Gus's case, his motorcycle. Mm. or the people down the street? That's living. When you can sit down and talk with people and share ideas. Now, what we're talking about is, is a deterioration that leads to the point where you're not living. You're not interacting in any kind of constructive sense with the world. You are existing. Yeah. You are not living you're existing and these people are going to extraordinary lengths to help you exist. Yeah. I, I was reading something in the paper this morning or the, yesterday, I don't know, recently anyway, where um, the doctors were arguing about what is death. Mm-hmm. And most of them understand today, it's not a measure of when your heart stops. Right. It's really a brainwave activity. Your heart is nothing but a pump. Yeah. And what we're finding is that this pump, it can stop for 30 seconds. It can stop for five minutes. Sometimes it can talk for a day. Then it'll start going again. So generally, I guess, from what I read in the article, coroners wait for evidence of heart stoppage for at least five minutes. Yeah. So what? What's what's death? Death is not your heartbeat. Your heart's a pump. Yep. Death is up here in your head, yeah. your mind. And when your mind is gone or going, I don't want to live. Yeah, I don't want to live now. Other people may choose to do that. Yep, that's the thing. Right, have no problem. Let yep. them choose what, the, and if their family and the supports are there for it by all means let it go i don't want i don't want to see these people abandoned this is what's happening right now with covid yep. why are 80% of the deaths in, in our, our folks homes long term thing uh, why yep. are they dementia people uh, we're doing the worst thing possible we're locking them in a room
0: yeah absolutely so, the worst thing possible so give um, us your um, I, I was interested when I went on your website, you you have a, a, a section there and it's called the serenity prayer. Yeah, of course, many right. people will know it. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. So here we are as we face this issue once again, uh, politically in our Houses of Parliament. Um, Give us some wisdom. (laughs) Tell us what we should really be thinking about.
1: What are we really thinking about? (sighs) (sighs) I'm going to throw in a a curve here. I I learned in serenity. I I I I wasn't an alcoholic, but I understand that that Serenity Prayer is the basis of right. A.A. meetings. So, uh, but anyway, uh, the, but the point is, as far as I'm concerned, is this matter of choosing life and choosing a death. My life, I've chosen. I've worked eighty-one years at it. Well, there are things that didn't go so well, I don't worry <laughs> about those. I, I've had a wonderful life. I've had a wonderful life. But I want to be able to choose death. And the thing that I want to tell people, certainly anybody over 50 years of age, how do you want to die? How do you want to die? Because it's, all, it's going to be sooner for most people than anything else has ever gone. That's on.
0: that's the short end of the spectrum but there. Yep. How
1: do you want to die? And and most people, when I confront them with that question, talk to me, well, I want to die eased up. Maybe the best way is to go to bed at night night and not right. wake up in the morning. Yeah, that's the best way. Yeah. See, this is why we we talk about dying with dignity. Yeah. We don't want to upset anybody. We don't want to upset the world. We don't want to do that. So it's the key issue to me is just that dying with dignity and being able to choose a death with some dignity is wonderful. Wonderful. I can even extend on that. I, I've talked to people who want made, <laughs> I, I mean, this is to me, it's one of those kind of wonderful stories I have uh, this lady. Got a hold of me and her and their uh, Gmail connector was antler woman mm-hmm. and uh, so we were talking we were she was talking about maid and what she wanted to do and whether she could so I was giving her providing her with the information. so I asked her why why you have this thing called antler woman? Well, she lived out on in the country yeah what she loved to do was go deer hunting. So she said, come with me. So I went into her, she had a double garage. She had deer antlers all around the garage <laughs> up, hanging up there. But here's what I found most interesting about it. She said, you know, a real advantage about being able to choose when I go is I can have a real celebration of life. Yeah. And what I'm going to do is... She had a big deck on the back. She's going to either get a, a, a quarter of, of venison, or she's, uh, she'll put a pig <laughs> up. They're going to barbecue. She's going to have her friends and have a few drinks, and they're going to celebrate what our life's been about. Now, to me, that's a true celebration. Right. One you can participate in, one you can be part of. You don't have to die the next day. We're not talking about that, but I'm saying here is something that gave me another. It's like Gus talking about Beacon of Hope. You can celebrate your life with the people that matter. Yeah. You can choose your death. You can go quietly and easily with some dignity in this world. So uh, that's what matters to me.
0: It's so um, I th- I, it's a privilege to talk to. Thank you. Oh. Uh, I really appreciate you laying this out. I want to make sure that everybody who is involved in this discussion and has some decision-making power truly understands the way you describe it because you're living it.
1: I am. The, <laughs>
0: this is your life. And and,
1: a, and, and, and my. you see me smiling. I do smile yes. a lot. Now, one of the things I get extra information, more than you need, you likely won't even show it. Come the, on,
0: bring it on the, uh,
1: <laughs> in all this decline in my head, there's a little part of your brain that's about the size of your twisted thumb back back in here that deals with your empathy mm-hmm. and that was one of the first things to go with me because now I have a great problem trying to control my feelings i <laughs> Particularly feelings of of sad. I was just, for example, I was speaking to a a group of fellows, women, in my Rotary Club the other day. Mm -hmm. We were talking about other kinds of problems. And so when I took the chance to thank them for taking the time to encourage me to talk and socialize, listen with them. Well, even now I find it difficult to say that because I just about, to, I, I tear up. Yeah, it's that empathy control, but it doesn't take anything away from what I have to say though. <laughs> even, no, even it doesn't, I and I think
0: that uh, you know, honestly, that does happen. We see it in older people, obviously, uh, because it, it, you kind of wear those emotions closer to the sleeve, but. But that's why your, your discussion, your willingness to engage on this is so important because you are there. You're much closer to it than somebody who's 30 or 40 or 50. You're, and you're staring
1: at it. This is not an academic hypothesis.
0: Exactly.
1: Yeah. I'm, no, I'm sorry. I'm, the, the, I read that full report from the Canadian Association of Academies. Yeah did the study and yeah <laughs> it's mostly uh, supposition and yeah. hypotheses when there was I take no a look place
0: for the, your voice yeah yeah
1: when i i look at these built-in precautions and safeguards <sighs> and made they're all based on supposition not reality and yeah. i'm real and there are a lot of people like me
0: Absolutely. And one should be able to die with dignity or die proudly when it's no longer possible to live proudly or with yep. dignity. It's just it's a pretty simple proposition in
1: the end. That's right. That's right. And I want to come down to it. It's it's a medical care thing. Yeah. Health care. It's a decision between my physician and myself, just like yeah. choosing any kind of medical treatment. Yeah. We discuss it, we discuss when, how, and if, and we we decide. I can still Thank do that.
0: <laughs> yes, you can. We will be back in touch with you as this debate unfolds in Parliament. I'm, I'll be really curious about what you're thinking and what you're saying. I don't want to get you too worked up or angry, because I get that way myself about this, because it's frustrating.
1: Well, uh, if you've read some of the pieces... You see my frustration showing. Yeah, I do. I'll be glad to help Pam. I'll be glad to help anybody. I've met uh, Senator Chantel Petty Clerk through this whole process, too. Yep. yeah. And uh, so I'm just I'm willing to do whatever I can.
0: Okay. Consider yourself recruited. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> Thanks so much, Ron Posno, talking to us today about MAID and the state of the legislation in this country. Really, really appreciate it. We'll talk soon. Okay. Bye-bye now.
1: Bye-bye.